BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. When you look at someone with pity, it's basically saying, I would not want your life, I would not want your body, I would not want to be you. Um, and that's the message I got. And I didn't need any words for me to receive that message. So the result of wearing that bikini is I ran back into the changing room, never came out. <laughs> I was like, mom, come pick me up. Um, and then I hid my scars for the rest of my life. everybody and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to RealPod, everybody. I hope you're doing fantastic, and I hope you're in the mood for lots of energy, lots of laughing, and lots of conversation. I honestly feel like this episode today hopefully will bring you so much joy, positivity, and energy into your day that I'm so excited for you to hear. The guest and I had so much fun recording. She has all the energies. She's so talkative, and she's so real. A very important thing if you're going to be a guest on this podcast. Joining me today is Michelle Elman, a five-board accredited life coach, TED Talk speaker, body positivity advocate, and the author of her debut book titled, Am I Ugly?, which she will answer for us today. She, I'm already laughing. Michelle is such a good time. You guys are going to love her. Her story's incredible, and here's why. She has underwent 15 surgeries due to chronic illnesses, which include a brain tumor, a punctured intestine, an obstructed bowel, a cyst in her brain, and hydrocephalus, all of which left her with multiple and visible scars on her body. She dealt with many body image and confidence issues, mainly stemming from her scars. And today she will take us on her journey and explain how nearly losing her life finally gave her the joy and strength to appreciate and love her body and also create her wildly popular social media brand, Scarred Not Scared. So please give it up and seriously get ready for the brave, bubbly, and beautiful Michelle Elman. I'm really grateful to have you. How is your morning going? Thank you so much for having me. I'm like well into my day and I'm kind of having a very chilled week of just enjoying doing nothing. And like all I care about this week, like my priorities are look after me. If I'm enjoying it, I'm doing it. If I'm not enjoying it, I'm not doing it. So it turns out what I'm enjoying right now is watching a lot of TV and doing no work. So oh that my is gosh. all I'm doing. I'm going to a restaurant tonight, which in pandemic times is a really noteworthy occasion. Um, this is the second restaurant I've been in, in since February. So like, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that tonight. And then, yeah, that's my entire day. I love this energy. I literally did the same thing last night. I wrote down on a post-it note, no favors in August because I just do too much for people. I say, yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. And so last night I was like, I want time to just do what I want to do. And so I love that you've kicked it off just by saying, yep, this is my self-care day, whatever self-care week, because that stuff's important. Have you always been like that or did it take time? Well, so I submitted a big work project on Friday, which took about four months. And I'm like, genuinely, this weekend was probably the first time I slept properly the whole pandemic. Like, just because the work project literally started the week the pandemic started and then it ended on Friday. So it feels like it's been my entire pandemic. And there was definitely a part of me that like, I never truly rested. I was either really busy and too busy and overworked or I was trying to rest, but making myself feel guilty about it, which is not resting either. And when you're sitting there and you're beating yourself up for not being productive, for not being busy, 
having to go into that mindset and be like, okay, there's a problem here. Why can I not let myself watch TV for a day without being like told I'm lazy or unproductive or like not worthy? And I was like, it's because it's all connected to our self-esteem. And this is not just me. This is our entire society. Every message that society sends you is unless it's a productive activity, it's not worth your time. It's a waste of time. Like if you're sitting on the sofa, like as a child, your mum will walk in and be like, come on, go outside, do something. And I'm like, <laughs> so no, but I am doing something. This is me recovering and I need recovery time. <laughs> to be creative and especially when you're in like highly creative jobs which I know a lot of people don't give influencers the credit they deserve but we are in highly creative jobs where we have to come up with content every day and so I just think rest and recovery is really important and a lot of the times those words are used within exercise but I actually think in life it's really important and if you steamroll your accomplishments so like me handing in my work project on Friday then you never actually take a moment to be proud of yourself and like especially over the weekend I was just like I am so proud of myself I completed this in a pandemic I'm gonna have something which like is going to be really positive from this time period and like I live alone so I've been by myself for four months and I was like that was hard and I still managed to complete it and like taking that moment was definitely because like I've given myself to just relax and have a week I love that term, steamroll your accomplishments, because I feel like I'm guilty of next thing, next thing, bigger, better, what's next, what's happening, and like literally last night, I said something to my boyfriend like, oh, like I didn't do this enough, or I need to be posting more, and he goes, he's like, Victoria, he's like, you've doubled your whatever here, you've created blank, he's like, you're fine, and it's just why we this need to keep growing especially as use the word influencers i know that's what i am but it has such a negative connotation that sometimes i'm like "Eh." this is why we change it we have to use it in a positive what like like i am so like we're gonna use it until people understand that it's a positive thing like it's a positive catch-all because like (laughs) if you go to journalists there are good journalists and bad journalists but like you don't suddenly just look at the bad journalists and go those are all journalists so why do we do that with influencers I was like we're not all selling detox teas like in (laughs) fact a lot of us are actively talking about not selling detox teas like so it's it's true but I almost wonder if it's is it recoverable you think it is the term influencer I just think like I think everything my I'm trying to combat when I hear that word so it's like to identify with it makes me cringe just a tiny bit So my belief is if we don't use it, the only people left using it are the people who I don't want to represent our community. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm using it. It's my label. Also, because I just think it's a word. It's a job title. Is it the best job title? Probably not. Should we be called content creators? I'd much prefer that. Um, But what you said about the Steve Rowling accomplishment, I call it destination addiction. Where like, it's always onto the next thing, onto the next thing. And I had a real moment last year where um, I, I think I was on the cover of a magazine or something. Just it's casual. I, I think it was that cover that I did. No, but <laughs> this is the thing. I genuinely can't actually remember what it is because I didn't even take a moment to celebrate it. And all I remember was I told my friend and my friend had this massive reaction. And I was just like, uh-huh. And like, I just went away from like that dinner. And I was like, that's sad. Like... Two years ago, I would have been like so excited, so happy that this company or this brand or this magazine or whatever it is would have even known I existed. And now I'm just like, oh, well, I don't get as much as that person. Oh, I don't like I'm not as busy as that person. And I'm like, I just was like whole cold rule with myself of like, no, we're stopping this. We're not doing this anymore. What can you celebrate and what can you not celebrate? Because the little accomplishments, like getting out of bed in the morning, like being here. And I know you can talk about that. We're going to get into that today is like focusing on the little wins. And like, maybe it's not, you know, my body is like this, or I did this. It's just, I freaking showed up to life today. And we know that right now showing up to life is difficult. (laughs) It's hard work (laughs) getting out of bed in the morning. Like I got out of bed at like 11 o'clock today. So I was just like, what am I getting up for? <laughs> I'm going to stay in my apartment all day. I love this that. This is great. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, and I, I want to get into all this. And by the way, can I just say that 
your energy. I just feel like I found a soul sister in you, like from the two oh. minutes you've been here, because I am just as energetic, just as talkative. And I feel like, I don't know what I was thinking coming to this podcast today, but sometimes when I have a lot of stuff to do, I'm like, okay, Victoria, get present. Like you got to do a good interview. But I just feel so at peace with you right now. Like, it's going to be great. Your vibes oh, are immaculate. Your vibes are <laughs> immaculate, <love> Michelle. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That's honestly like the highest compliment. Oh, I love it. Okay, so I do want everyone to hear about your story and the illness that you yeah. went through as a child and still experience. Um, so when you were when you were young, when is the first time you realized something is off with my health? Um, and and this is unusual. This is different than other kids my age. So it's funny because like, it's so strange. I'm like, on one hand, I talk about this massive, like, not terminal illness, but there were definitely moments in my life where I basically was on the brink of death. And then it always comes back to a body image because the moment I realized that I was different from other people was about my scars, not about my surgery. And so my relationship to my surgeries are very much like, interlinked with my relationship to my scars because so the moment I realized wasn't when I was lying in a hospital when I was seven years old so I started having surgeries from the age of one um I had 15 surgeries before the age of 20 and I had it uh, because of a brain tumor a punctured intestine obstructed bowel a cyst in my brain and a condition called hydrocephalus and you must forgive me because I've been told countless times that I list that like a grocery list (laughs) but it's just the numbers I I know we I'm like I'm like we need to slow down and re re recalculate what you just said can we just take each one separately (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's so funny wait so hydrocephalus will you define that for me or for people who are not aware so that's too much water in your brain and like water is the layman's term but it's essentially cerebrospinal fluid or csf fluid that we all have in our brain and it's the creation of too much in your brain um and essentially it's it's this unknown condition that nobody knows why some people are born with too much water in their brain but what they found with me was that so they diagnosed me with that when i was like one years old what they found at 11 was that i had a tumor that was creating xx excess water so then there was a problem where um they were like well was it the tumor creating the water or does she actually have hydrocephalus so there was a moment when I was 11 and this is why I was like there were moments in my life where it was a bit touch and go uh where they clamped off the tube that drains the excess water from my brain to my stomach um and I flatlined long story short or like how I like to say on my tiktok I died (laughs) Um, and I have the whole memory of like floating up above my body and all of that um but essentially what happened that, after that and also they- I, I it's like everything you're saying I kind of want to dive in more but I but I know all the stuff yeah. you can say today and we only have limited time but I want to have you back on to talk about your experience floating above your body that's very casual I know I like I always feel like I always end up apologizing for how I tell this story because I do tell it like I'm I'm talking about any you're steamrolling over all of your death experiences <laughs> yes exactly but also people are like really uncomfortable with the fact that I like often tell it laughing half the time and they're like this is not funny well, why are you laughing that I'm laughing I feel like people are gonna think that's so unprofessional, but you're just like I said, you're like radiant, and I can't help but laugh when you make light of this situation. But I must say, it's quite funny. It's quite funny the fact that I I basically nearly died. I had 15 surgeries before the age of 20, and I made a career out of it. Like who does that? So that, that is, is such funny. that is such a badass accomplishment. Snaps. But also, like I didn't even do it on purpose. It just like. <laughs> Well, I'll fast forward. So I'll tell the story a bit quicker and fast forward it if that's even possible. But long story short, they were like, let's not test. Um, let's not test out this tube or not. So I have both at the same time. They removed the tumor, but I have the tube and I technically have hydrocephalus. What? How did you feel about your body when you first started realizing I'm coming out of each of these surgeries with a pretty severe scar? I noticed that I was different was when I wore a bikini for the first time when I was 10 years old. So I had um, pretty much the same scars I have now. Like there's one bigger scar across the bottom, but like pretty much the same. And so you can imagine that on a 10 year old is quite um, not shocking, but it's definitely uh, more pity worthy than my age now. Um, 
And so when I didn't know anything different, I had obviously seen my brother's stomach and I was like, obviously I could see there was a difference, but in the same way that I have brown eyes and someone else has blue eyes, like it's a difference. Who says a difference is bad until someone tells you it's bad. Um, And I came out at this birthday party. It was the first time I was wearing a bikini and uh, it was actually the parents who looked at my stomach with like shock and pity and horror. And out of all of the emotions, pity was the worst one. Like, I didn't even have the word for it at that age. But all I knew was at that age, like, it did not make me feel good. And now as an adult, what I can, how I can articulate that is when you look at someone with pity, it's basically saying, I would not want your life. I would not want your body. I would not want to be you. Um, And that's the message I got. And I didn't need any words for me to receive that message. So... Um, the result of wearing that bikini is I ran back into the changing room, never came out. <laughs> I was like, mom, come pick me up. Um, and then I hid my scars for the rest of my life. I was like, that's the solution. I'm going to get plastic surgery as soon as I can. Um, it's sorted. And then uh, when I, so uh, shortly after that bikini thing, I told my parents I was going to get plastic surgery. I had done some Googling, found And this, this was word. when you were 11? You said you wanted plastic 10, surgery? Yeah. 10. Yeah. And I was like, I want these scars off my stomach. And I had like Googled. Google was like relatively new then. And I was like, went on Google, was like how to get rid of scars, found this word plastic surgery. It was like, I'm going to get plastic surgery. And all my dad said was, we'll talk about it when you're 15. Like he was like, this is not a conversation to have right now. So I was like, cool, temporary solution. Survive till 15. 15 I'll get plastic surgery so I genuinely didn't think about it till I was 15 and I was genuinely like if I don't take my top off there is no problem and then I got to 15 and it kind of occurred to me that if I had to have plastic surgery that meant I would have to have surgery and that meant going back into hospital for an unnecessary reason and I was like there is nothing I would want less than going back into hospital um and for something that is not that is optional. Um, and so I was like, great, well, now I'm stuck. What am I going to do? I've got this monstrosity on my stomach. And the worst part is it's like a reminder of, um, at the time, trauma I hadn't processed. And I was like, great, I've got a reminder of that every morning I look in the mirror. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I have no choice. I can't change it. Let's accept it. Like, I don't have to love it. But like, I decided I'm ugly and ugly people live fulfilled lives all the time. So I'm just going to make my life a fulfilling Michelle. life outside of me being ugly. <laughs> I, like, I know it doesn't sound body positive. I know. But like, I promise you, it was the most liberating decision a 15-year-old could have made. Bearing in mind, like, I hadn't fully formed my whole self-esteem and everything. That was way more liberating than me trying to love myself at 15. Like, loving myself was such an unrealistic goal that I was just like great, I'm ugly, I can accept this. There are ugly people in the love the world who fall in love, who have successful careers, I'll just be one of them. <laughs> so I set, like, genuinely, the moment I made that decision, I actually, like, even teachers in school was like, you've changed. Because I started going after leadership positions. I started going, like, I was head of charity in the school. And, like, all of these things. I was kind of that person. In England, we call it, like, a non. So, like, a non-existent person. Like, the person in your year who you wouldn't remember their name in a year. Like, I was that person. I was the person who's like, flew under the radar, did not want to be noticed. And I went from that to being, like, on stage in the school assembly every week. Quick pause, because I bet there's people listening right now. Maybe they're 15, maybe they're not. And they're thinking, I resonate with, all of the torment and the lack of confidence that you mentioned, and I want this switch. Um, what conversations did you have with yourself? What happened that day or that week where you were like, screw it, my appearance is not gonna be the priority right now, and I'm gonna attack other aspects of my life? It was, uh, there was an exact moment. There was, we were walking out of PE, and I was with my friend who like was the most gorgeous would have called her like exquisite person like genuinely and like we, any guy we all have that in middle school yeah like, that one girl who develops sooner than everyone else she's just radiant she walks into the cafeteria and the sun shines on her every day yeah but also <laughs> if i had her body my life would be perfect is the story you tell yourself when you look at that person and she was my friend and i was like we were walking out of sports center and she went 
oh my god she was looking at the door and i there was just something about the fact it wasn't a mirror it was a door like you're not even meant to stare in the reflection of a door you're just meant to walk through the door <laughs> like you don't have to look at the reflection and she was like um oh my god i'm so fat and ugly and i was like oh my god she thinks like i've been through this traumatic surgery i've been through like the worst possible thing a human could well debatable but like one of the worst things a human could go through at a very young age and yet we have the same insecurity like if me focusing on the fact that I had this special thing that can't be changed is no different because even if I didn't have these scars I probably would be just as insecure but it was something about the fact that she she believed she this and I thought she was the most beautiful person in the world that I was just like isn't it depressing that all we talk about is what we look like and I was like I'm just bored like it wasn't anger it wasn't like being so fed up of hating myself it was literally just boredom I'm so bored of talking about the same thing all day every day and something so yeah sorry go ahead no and that's so that's the thing that flipped it was I was just like I need to make my life bigger than this. Like, how did I go from being worried I was going to die at 11 to then spending four years of my life being consumed with something I can't change? And I think it was a gift in the fact that the thing I worried about was... I worried about my weight, but, like, the main thing I worried about was scars. And I think the gift is the fact that if it's your weight, you constantly think you're a project that needs to be fixed. The problem with scars is there's a permanence to it, which I couldn't do anything about. So I was stuck with my options, accept it, or, like, continue to hate myself for the rest of my life. But there was definitely something in finding this confidence from other areas where I was like, oh my God, if I use my voice, I can get leadership positions in the school and being in charge is amazing and (laughs) deciding things and like running the charity for the school is wonderful and actually gives me self-esteem. And like, I just stopped thinking about my appearance. And the thing is, so I made a promise to myself that I would stop vocalizing the negative thoughts of my body that day when I was walking out of the sports center Stop vocalizing. So stop saying out loud, I feel ugly, I feel this to your friends. Because all she did when she said, I look, so she said something about like, I I am so ugly, I'm so fat. Uh, And she was like, look at my thighs. What do you do when someone says, look at my thighs? Like you look at their thighs. So I was like, isn't it funny that the thing I want most in the world is for people to not see my body, never talk about my scars. And yet, I draw the most attention to it by talking about how insecure I am about it. And like, I found myself instinctively when she said, like talking about her thighs, looking at her thighs and judging whether they were fat, because that's what you do when someone says like, look at my thighs, look how fat they are. And like, whether my judgment was that she was, her thighs were fat or not is relevant. It's the fact that you're actually asking someone to do the thing you're fearing. And so that's why I started deciding to stop vocalizing it. Because I was like, I might be insecure. I might hate myself. I don't need to let everyone know about this. They can figure it out themselves. And you don't need to waste breath and energy and your precious time ruminating and dwelling on something negative. Um, Well, so that came after. I only realized that part once I did it. So I... I didn't realize that if you stop vocalizing negative opinions, you actually stop thinking negative opinions because you are giving, as you said, less time and energy to it. But I, it was just a surface decision. And like, oftentimes I go back and look at my life. I'm like, wow, that small decision really changed my life. And like, it was just a split of the moment. Like, I'm just not doing this anymore. Um, And sometimes you just make these small moments and in hindsight, it's a massive transformative moment. But like, at the time, it was a decision because I was just, I was bored of the things we were talking about. So you were kind of working on your self-talk and the way you perceived your body and your image throughout like this, this young teenage period of your life. But at 19, you did land back in the hospital very sick. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I had an obstructed bowel at 19. And I think what had happened between 11. So my two biggest bulk of surgeries were 11 and 19. And when what happened at 11 is I came out of hospital scared of everything. Like I was the most active child. I would horse ride, ice skate, rollerblade, rugby, anything you like any sport you can name. I've done it. And I loved it. And I wasn't good at it, but I still did it. And this was after (laughs) you got out of the hospital from 19? 
No, so this was before the age of 11. And then I went into hospital when I was 11 and everything became a hazard. Everything was, no, if I do that, I can hit my head. If I hit my head, I'll end up back in hospital. So from 11 to 19, like the joy in my life, the things that made me happy, I stopped doing them all. And then when I went into hospital when I was 19, I was in second year of university and all I could think about was all the moments that I like had missed out on all the things I'd said no to. Cause I was like, and I think there's a cliche. Cause again, I thought I was going to die when I was 19. Um, and there's a cliche that when you're like on your deathbed, you think about like the big things in life, but it really wasn't. There were two specific memories that got stuck in my head, like on repeat that I would just play for six weeks. And one was the fact that there was a card game at a friend's house 20 minutes away and I was too like it was too cold outside and it was raining and I didn't want to walk 20 minutes to go play this card game and the other thing was a dance class that my friends used to go to every week and I never went because I didn't want to be the fat girl in dance class um, and those are the two things which I regretted the most because I was like I just I maybe in a way I just thought they were like very um metaphorical for all the things I missed out on in life like I was either just like not saying yes to opportunities for fun or I was too scared to um well people you said look back and regret the big things but you're looking back like all the little things I never did the little things like just go cards with my friends just go to dance class with the girls yeah yeah exactly and also do I care that I would have been the fat girl in dance class? Let's say, hypothetically, someone in that dance class would have laughed at me. Do I care right now, lying in this hospital bed? No, I would give anything to be in that dance class right now. What I would give to be in that card game, like, I don't care if it's raining, hailing, whatever it is, I would run there, like, in a second. And to um, set the scene, was this because you were bedridden and yeah, the illness bedridden, had... Yeah, couldn't walk, couldn't eat, couldn't drink, couldn't lift my arms, couldn't move my legs, was, like, stuck with my thoughts for six weeks on repeat while my friends were at uni... It was just, and I just came out of uh, that that experience with this like energy for life that I only uh, in my book I compare it to a newborn. Were you like, supposed to come out of that experience? What were the chances that your life was lost? Uh, so with that, it was less so the actual surgery, but like basically the moment I started recovering, I then something else happened, and then. Uh, it was like an unlimited time frame of when I was going to get out. So that was the thing that was more messing with your mind. It's kind of like the pandemic, the fact that like with majority of surgeries, they're like oh, one week recovery time and you get out. Basically, long story short, they were waiting for me to poo. And so I didn't know when that was going to be. And so we waited six weeks and every morning I'd be woken up with, have you pooed yet? Have you pooed yet? And that was literally my day for like six weeks. Um, and it, it's... It's the fact you don't know when you're going to get out. But I'd always had this paranoia. This is going to sound so superstitious and paranoid. But uh, I was born on Friday the 13th. I, um, at that point, had had 13 surgeries. I have 13 letters in my name. My first surgery was when I was 13 months. Like, a lot had happened around the number 13. And one of my friends had said to me as a joke when I was younger, wouldn't it be really funny if you died in 2013? Oh, the day I go into hospital... That's not funny! <laughs> Well, so the day I go into hospital is the 3rd of January, 2013. The date is literally 132013. And I was like, oh I'm dying. This is it. I'm done. I'm out of here. Like, so it, wasn't, yeah, but like it wasn't even a medical thing. It was just like, I'm done. My time limit is up. It's actually why I started writing this book. Because I was like, I, writing my book is because I was like, I'm leaving this earth. I need to leave a legacy. So I was like, I can't leave this earth when no one will know what I think. So like, I just started writing. So I was like, I was genuinely like full on panic mode. But what happened was I came out of hospital um, and they were like, you have to recover at home for two weeks. And I was like, screw this. I'm going back to uni now. And like, I went straight back to uni and had this energy for life that like, I've never been able to forget it because it's like, 
you know how people say like stop and smell the roses I literally was stopping and smelling the roses and I would make my friends stop and smell the roses with me and I remember one day we were walking home from our lectures and I went like guys we need to take a moment and stop and smell the roses and like my friends are wonderful and like indulged me a lot in that period and what I like point to this our neighbor's flower bed and my friend literally goes Michelle those are a pile of weeds and I was like I don't care they're beautiful weeds you are missing the point so like we, <laughs> we don't need to like be in a rush to go everywhere like let's just enjoy the time we're having together so I was in this whole like peace love vibe um and what happened was um well I called it my YOLO summer so YOLO was really popular at the time you only live once and I was like I'm gonna do every single thing that has scared me in the last eight years all the things I love to do that have terrified me I'm gonna go back doing so like wakeboarding was one of my favorite things to do I went wakeboarding again I went horse riding again I went on a hike I've always been terrified to go on a hike because like what if you're stuck halfway through and you want to quit and you can't quit Um, (laughs) so I went on a hike um I went cliff diving I went to a waterfall I stopped caring about what I look like in a tankini in front of people and I genuinely think I've started that energy back when I was 19 and I just carried it on like So you developed an immense sense of gratitude for your body's basic abilities to just keep you alive and allow you to just live to see another day. And then you realized in that gratitude how minuscule the waist measurement is or the number on the scale or the size of your jeans. Is that correct? That's the transition you were making? Yeah, so... No, no part of this, and this is what I find quite ironic about, like, the main messages in body positivity at the moment, because the no part of this is me actively going, I love myself. Like, all of this is out of function, utility, Um, it's out of the fact that I was like, I spent... 19 years of my life complaining that my body doesn't work and I'm lying in a hospital bed and my body actually doesn't work right now and what the hell was I complaining about for the last 19 years yes okay I get headaches three times a week or whatever it is but like it worked I could have gone to that card game I could have gone to that dance class and so it was all because of that and then also I think an aspect of it was the fact that like I just had this respect for the fact that my body actually came back from that and it was the first time I very much flipped my mentality around my scars because up till that point I guess there was a bit more around my scars just because so from the point of when I was 15 and I was like um I'm just gonna accept them like they're ugly fine that kind of changed once I started dating where I was like oh wait I can't keep my top on for the rest of my life because that's not (laughs) no you can't girl get it (laughs) so what I like I went through that entire journey when I was 18 and like first year of university and all this new friendship group trying to like navigate me through it where I'm like I need to give a disclaimer before my I take my top off I don't want to offend anyone and my friends being like it's your body you're not offending anyone and I was like it's a scratched handbag you have never picked a scratched handbag off the shelf like I got out all these you thought your stomach was a scratched handbag yeah, and I was like, if you have a, if you have a whole shelf of handbags, you're not going to pick up the scratched one. <laughs> That's what I used to say. And it was actually one of my guy friends who overheard that conversation. Um, and he walked in. And he we kind of had a um, like Ooh, banter a relationship. No, no, no. Like a very like brother sister relationship. Like annoyed each other, crossed the line oh, okay, kind okay. of relationship. So when he w- walked in, he was like he was doing his like I don't know here we call it like lad chat where like he was like hey like kind of thing and I was like leave me alone I'm not in the mood because I was just talking about this scratched handbag thing um and it was like two months later he came to me and he was like um everyone had been out of the corridor it was just the two of us and like um everyone was out for some reason and we were just both in together um and he was like do you want to go get a takeaway so we just went on this walk and he was like you know the other day when you were like well not the other day it had literally been like two months where he was like you know when I walked into like the living room and you were saying like your body's a scratched handbag and I was like yeah why and he was like you weren't talking about yourself were you and I was like yeah why (laughs) and like we just didn't have the relationship to have emotional conversations and he was like 
Michelle, I have an afro. I have psoriasis. I literally, I'm ginger afro, have a psoriasis. Literally, like, I have a dad bod. There are so many reasons why someone would not want to sleep with me. And yet, people do. And I was like, okay, good for you. I don't really get the point here. And, and he was like, it was this sentence that he said where he was like, you, because of the body you have, you are going to get rid of the assholes first. You're not going to have to go through the heartbreak in Ooh, order to get rid of the assholes. I like that. And, genuinely you know what sometimes people just say things in a different way or like say something you really need to hear in the moment and I was like and it was the fact that he was like we all date arseholes but you get rid of them faster because like you're not gonna have to wait till you're 40 and pregnant to find out that oh wait your husband's really fat phobic and doesn't like fat women because you already are one so like it was the fact that it was like you're gonna get rid of the body shamers first you're gonna and this was very much said by like the captain of the football team who like wait i would love never, him ever why are think... we with him now where is he call <laughs> him up i actually think he's in america i'll send him to you <laughs> like it like it was from this guy that you would never think would ever worry about these things and like I don't think any of the things that he said whether it's psoriasis or afro or redhead or whatever like are things that I would not date someone but it was more the fact that it was the like the guy who was most popular in our entire uni was also insecure and I was just like wow if people were able to get out of their heads long enough they would realize that everyone's just as insecure as they are Um, and then if we apply that to the bedroom think about the fact that every person you sleep with will be going through their own stuff in their own head about their own body they're not going to be thinking about yours how did you get into your body positivity advocacy from this moment where you have this conversation and like you said sometimes it is whether it makes sense to other people or not, it made sense to you and it changed your trajectory. So when does this bikini photo come in that now you've mentioned went viral? So that is probably, so 19 is when I come out of hospital. By the time I've gone back to uni, it's probably 20 and then 21, my bikini picture comes out. So in that meantime, I've graduated uni, I have become a life coach and I've been practicing for about six months. Um, And when that bikini picture goes viral, I like I was very aware of the body positive body positivity has been around a long time but like body positivity was becoming there were uh 10 big accounts in America and five big accounts in the UK and when I say big the biggest was at 100,000 but the thing I had kept noticing was all of these amazing women were talking about about body positivity but like I just found with their content the only thing I kept feeling was I still can't see my body um and I was like why am I like, and at this time I wasn't friends with them. I was in the group chat, but I was like, why am I staying silent when there are like, people get surgeries every day. I just couldn't get my head around the fact there are people having surgeries every day. And yet it took me until I was 21 to see someone with a surgery scar outside of a hospital. So why like that, the maths does not add up. And I was like, there are other people who must be feeling the same way, the same way that like, my friend is um, normalizing cellulite, there must be someone with a scar being like, what about me? Um, And I was like, you know what? I'm confident. I've loved my scars for like, and at that point I did love my scars and I would use the word love. It wasn't just acceptance anymore. And I think that very much came around um, my uni experience and dating and also the hospital experience from when I was 19. Um, And I was like, why not me? I can do this. Um, and so that's what started it. And it was the fact that I genuinely wanted a space in body positivity for a conversation around not only scars, but surgery and illness. And the fact that I was just getting really frustrated with a lot of the narratives in body positivity where like a lot of people say like, as long as you're healthy. And I'm like, you don't get to choose your health. If you think you can, that means you're very privileged because like, what you're saying I deserve to get ill when I was one years old? And also, what if someone's been unhealthy their entire life? What if someone is, like, to me, there's no difference between someone who overeats or, um, 
uses alcohol, uses drugs. The only difference is that one you can see without talking to the person. Um, and that's not always the case because there are people who overeat and it doesn't demonstrate on their body. And that's why, like I say so many times, you can't tell health by appearance. And we associate fat with overeating. But there are people who overeat. I like say quite often, I'm like, we all have a thin friend who eats whatever they like and never gains weight. That could be a friend who is binging. That could be a friend who is overeating. Or that could be a friend who's just eating a healthy amount. You don't know. You don't know unless you're in that person's situation. But all I know is when it comes, if it is a vice, when it comes to any of the other vices, we don't use shame. We don't shame alcoholics. We don't shame drug addicts. We put them, we help them. We give them support. We give them group meetings to go to. So why is overeating any different and I think we just need to realize the difference between overeating and being fat because again a lot of illnesses cause weight gain and we're not looking at it from a nuanced approach I was not plus size when I had all of my surgeries but I gained weight post every single one of my surgeries because when you're bed bound and you've not been eating for like months your body goes into starvation mode and when you come back to eating normally, your body's in shock. And a lot of the time when your body's in shock, and this will be happening in the pandemic as well, because I truly believe the pandemic is like a global trauma reaction, um, your body will hold on to fat to protect you sometimes. Sometimes you'll not be hungry at all. You're, all of our bodies react in different ways, but all I know is that shame does not help anyone at all. And all the research has shown that if you live an active lifestyle and you uh, have, so there are like four four factors. If you have um, moderate alcohol, so you don't need to cut it out, but just moderate alcohol, um, cutting out smoking, uh, a varied diet, so it doesn't need to be a restricted one, just a varied diet and um, a, a moderate exercise three times a week. You, your mortality rate is the same as anyone in any other weight class apart from underweight, which is higher than the rest of them. But if you're overweight, whether your weight changes or not, you reap the health benefits from it. So I'm really big believer in health at every size. And that's where a lot of my energy for body positivity came from was I was like, okay, it's all great saying love yourself, but do we, do we let other people love themselves? Are we letting the fattest of our community love themselves as well? Because if for me, body positivity is about body positivity for everyone. Yeah. And I want to talk about this because unfortunately your TikTok especially receives a lot of body shaming and a lot of negative Mm. comments. Um, and the, this, the unique part of TikTok is it's not just an exclusive group of people who choose to follow you and receive your content. It's anything you post can go to anyone. So what is an experience like to receive negativity every single day on that application and how do you handle that as a person how do you combat that um as a life coach i've been an influencer for five years being called fat and ugly like i went viral across the world like i every single article written about me all of it underneath was fat and ugly i was so numb to it i have never experienced it to the same extent as on tiktok and i got really resentful of about it because I think also the mechanism of TikTok means a lot of the time when I create uh, content, people use my audio and if they live in a thinner body or a whiter body than mine, they get all love. And so the, the message is being accepted. It's just not being accepted out of my mouth. And that's where like racism comes in. And that's where like fat phobia comes in. And I think more so than the, um, than the, fat phobic comments is the racism comments. I've never experienced racism like I've got during the pandemic. Um, Like people saying, you caused coronavirus, you're the reason I can't see my family and friends. Um, And that really just like wiped me out. And it doesn't impact my confidence. It doesn't impact my self-esteem. It's just the amount of negative energy and time I spend. And like, I do get upset sometimes like on it, I'm just like, I, it does make me stop and go like, what do you think some of the biggest misconceptions are or the biggest ways people can identify like fat phobia within themselves? So I think we all live with a bit of internalized fat phobia. So, and I also think, so the biggest misconception is that fat phobia affects fat people. Fat phobia affects everyone who lives in this society. And it actually, the the fear of fat is usually greater 
in thin people because the fat people are already fat so they know how bad it is whereas the fear of fat uh, in thin people is usually what is the cause of eating disorders same with body dysmorphic disorder and so when I talk about fat phobia like I do get a lot of comments being like you only care about fat people you don't think uh, thin people can have insecurities and I'm like no it's not that Thin people don't face discrimination in the same way. Like, you're not discriminated against in a doctor's office. If you walk in and you say you've broken your foot, and I know this sounds like a stupid example, but trust me, I've had this example in my DMs on a daily basis. If a thin person walks in and says they've broken their foot, they go, here, have a cast. Here, have some medication to reduce your pain. If a fat person walks in, they go, well, maybe you should have lost some weight. How, how does so, that help me? So I, wa- I want to play devil's advocate here and ask you some questions that you probably get in your DMs, not because I disagree with you, but because this is valuable. So what yeah. about the person that would say, but if your body is carrying 100 extra pounds, you're putting unnecessary pressure on your joints or your knees, and there's a correlation between the two. What would you say? With the broken foot thing or as a separate Yes, with weight and a broken foot. Like if someone who would argue that's a valid assumption. I would say my foot's already broken. What would you like me to do about it? Like, (laughs) seriously, like that is, this is is where I think the logic is missing. My foot is already broken. Let's say I have cancer and somehow someone wants to relate cancer to being fat. You don't know that, by the way. Cause and correlation are two separate things. But let's say hypothetically someone could some magician in the world could say your cancer was caused by fat what am what we going to do about it now i have the cancer i have to live with that so do you really think you saying to me you caused your illness you're the reason you're going to die is really going to help someone i lived with this for years i lived with thinking i was the reason i got so ill and it sounds stupid considering the fact i had brain tumors and things that i can never control But you know where it came from? It came from diet culture. So the messages of like, um, like, uh, well, as long as you eat spinach or as long as like all the things that we say to children a lot, I thought the reason why I was so ill and I was in hospital because every conversation I'd had around an unhealthy person was that I hadn't eaten enough spinach. I had eaten too much junk food. I'd had too much sugar and therefore I was in a hospital bed. And that sounds stupid, but I was 11 years old. And if I was absorbing those messages at 11 years old, that's spreading to older ages. And I just think this culture of blame and this culture of lack of sympathy and lack of empathy, if someone drinks themselves to death, for example, and like, again, I want to emphasize that not every fat person has excess fat on their body because of, of overeating. And I think that's a really important point because we have this illusion that majority are because of overeating and under-exercising, but the minority have it because of illnesses, have it because of medications. That's not true. Like, that's not being statistically shown at all. A lot of it is because of socioeconomic status. So if you want to actually address the problem, a lot of the time, it's not actually the fact that they don't know what to eat or they don't know what's healthy for them. Frankly, I don't think you could live in our society and no, not know what's good to eat or what you should be doing exercise wise a lot of the time is access if you work three jobs you do not have the access to then go and find the best food for you you probably can't afford it you don't have the time to make it um and if you want me to get a job a gym description a gym subscription while i have three jobs you're mad like that's that's the essence of it and when you look at obesity and you actually look at it properly and I genuinely implore everyone to read health at every size so much of it is socioeconomic so blaming the individual when it's a societal systemic problem is really not helping and it's this shame that a person lives with that means that it's so hard to go in the gym and we say we're a society that really encourages fat people to work out and eat healthy but we make it so hard for fat people to even exist in society and the amount of shame I see for fat people in the gym is shocking I'm not surprised a fat person doesn't feel comfortable in the gym not only because will they'll be stared at probably laughed at i've seen a number of video recordings of fat people working out because it's apparently funny um but also you can't even get decent workout clothes and like as an athlete yourself you know if you are in like trashy like the only thing that will fit workout clothes it doesn't feel great when you get a new like workout outfit it feels wonderful i think fat people deserve that 
so why is this so if it's truly about health and it's truly about whether someone is healthy or not why is there so much opposition to nike for example i don't know whether this was in america but in in england the nike plus extended, size model yeah the, to and it was a it was a plus size mannequin, mannequin to hold yeah. the plus size clothes and there was so much uproar about it and i was like wait so you want fat people to work out we just can't have clothes to work out like sorry but last time also a lot of fat people have a big boobs and like frankly i can't work out without sports bra and if you're not going to create plus size sports bra then i'm not exercising that's such a good point it's saying like you need to look like us and be like us but figure out how you're going to get there yourself because we're not going to provide you with clothes we're going to laugh at you if you come to the gym and it's just gonna be 10 times harder for you and in general i think everything that it kind of boils down to is like someone's health and life is just not our business and we don't have any right to make an assumption about it and it would be terrible to feel like like you said just to function in society people are staring at you and assuming you don't have willpower you don't have self-worth you want to die young you don't have any disregard for your body like we make we associate fatness with these few things i've just listed and more which are all negative. But also, like, I just don't buy the fact that the person commenting on my, one of the ones that I reacted to was someone saying, heart attack at 42. I don't believe there was a single part of that person who cared about my health or was worried about when I was going to die. I think that comment comes from the fact that we are addressing nearly every form of discrimination and the only form of discrimination that is left, that is acceptable in society, is fat phobia. And the reason why it's acceptable is because of this narrative of you deserved it. Well, if people deserve the the abuse they face when they're like fat, then we don't truly care about it, really. Like, it's actually an, a large part, the large part of the conversation, I think, is an aesthetic thing, is we say it's about health, but I actually think it's a lot about the way we look. Um, because you can market on that. And I think a lot of this fear of fat actually comes from the fact that diet culture is a two billion pound industry. I think it's $60, $60 billion in America. Um, and they're profiting off it. And so we're like regurgitating all of the same nonsense that's been going around in magazines for years about how you need to look a certain way to be active, to be fit. Um, But if you look at any plus size athlete or any person who, or fat woman who runs on the internet, they get the most abuse. They get more abuse than the fat people who are not running on the internet. Like, it does, it's not got anything to do with health. And this whole simplistic thing of the other comment a lot of fat people get is go eat a salad or like don't uh, stop eating so much McDonald's. And I'm like, it's a cliche. Like, this is not how people like live. And again, like, let's say someone is unhealthy. You yelling at someone, you need to be healthy, doesn't solve anything. If health is not their priority, you know what? It's their choice. Like, and I that goes for any vice, whether it's, and I, we always use the stereotypical ones, whether it's like alcohol or drugs, but numbing yourself out by playing video games all day, 24 hours a day, is also a vice. Shopping uh, until you can't stop or whatever the phrase is, is also a vice. Working nonstop and not being able to take a break, that's also a vice. All of those call health, cause health problems. Work causes higher blood pressure, cause, causes heart problems, and also because of your sedentary all day, probably causes heart problems. We don't talk about that. We don't and talk loneliness. About fa- loneliness is, um, helps, or sorry, does not help. Obviously, no one wants to die, but loneliness uh, is a cause of dying earlier. And yet we're not like forcing people to have friends and leave their houses and socialize. Um, so it's yeah. just a similar vice. But also, like, if you think about how isolating it is for a fat person, so, like, the main reason why I push people to read Health at Every Size is because I'm not a scientist, but this book is filled with research on the history of it. And the research is there, it's just not publicised because you can't capitalise off it, because it doesn't make money to tell people, oh, actually, if you exercise, regardless of whether you lose weight or not, you are still going to live as healthily as everyone else. Like, it's about your healthy habits, it's not about... Um, and your like lifestyle and only you can know how you eat and how you exercise 
it's not about whether it displays the results on your body. Um, and so when I, when I look at all these vices, I'm like, you can yell at someone who plays video games 24 hours a day. Like, you should get off your video games. If they don't want to, they don't want to. If they're going to die young because of it, they don't want to. So even on the furthest end of the spectrum, and we actually go down that road of believing all of these myths around the fact that, like, every fat person has eaten themselves to that position... At that point, you shaming them is not going to help. And I just think long term, like shame and this, it genuinely feels like moral superiority. You look at a fat person and you think you're better than them, that you are, you have more willpower than them, that you have, uh, you're more determined, that you're more successful. Like all of these associations with fat that we all live with um, and also are sold. So like how many people have been told that if you don't lose weight, you won't find love. Um, and we all in uh, the loneliness thing you mentioned we all have this intrinsic fear that we're going to end up alone um, and that just as a human is a thing that exists so what better way as a diet company to tap into that and sell people that right and then that's it's all of all of this is connected and a lot of it is about the love of money and a lot of it is by tapping into people's fear of death because I think a large part of the diet culture machine is selling this message that if you eat right and you exercise enough, you're going to be immortal. And, like, you don't get to choose your health. And, like, I just wish people would understand that health is a privilege. And, like, and I I don't even mean that from the eating or exercise side, but it is in terms of socioeconomic status and all of those things. But also from the fact that you weren't born with a brain tumour, that you weren't... uh, I can't even tell you the amount of kids I saw die in a hospital bed and... It's in those moments where I was like, they're not gonna, they wouldn't spend their life body shaming people on the internet because they understand what being unhealthy means. They understand that not everyone got gifted health when they were born and they did nothing to deserve that. So like this personal blame, which doesn't help whether like once you've already got the illness and also with the majority of things, like personally blaming someone for them getting a brain tumour, like you can't, what what purpose does that serve other than make them feel really bad um and that those are the messages you're sending and like from a child in a hospital bed I promise you I learned them at 11 so that means every other person in the world is absorbing them as well whether that's consciously or unconsciously right and something that you've said is just in general your life purpose is far bigger and greater than being pretty or looking beautiful. And I think it's such an important message because I saw a TikTok last night. I I mean, some of these, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like, I don't even know what to say. It's just so toxic and harmful. And this one TikTok was a a girl laying in her bed, just music playing on a loop with it saying, all I want in life is to be skinny. Like hundreds of thousands of likes, the comments. And I'm just thinking, that's all you want in life? I mean, there's no, like going back to this girl that you thought was pretty and skinny and everything, she's unhappy. And the way I kind of view this chase for a perfect image is a race that literally never ends. You're just running loops on the track and it never ends because no matter how much weight you lose, how many surgeries you get, how you look, you're always going to have problems in your life. And looking beautiful is not going to fix those problems. And so I think just realizing that this race of being the most beautiful person doesn't exist. And the, the, the person you think is that has problems. They do. Well, so the one thing I realized is that what's... This is controversial. But uh, body insecurities are your greatest excuse to not live your life. And so what's the best excuse? The one that is permanently with you your entire time. So let's say you're too scared to date or too scared to apply to that job. And you say, oh, well, I'm too fat to get that job or I'm too fat to date. You then say like, oh, well, if I lose weight in six months, I will date or I'll finally apply to that job. You now have six months of not having to address that fear. And that's the thing that like, are you really more scared of the fact that like you're going to be rejected? If we actually talk about that rather than the fear of being fat, but it's the fact that like the fear of rejection for that job interview or from that boy is so much greater that it's almost like an easy excuse to be like, nope, I'm too fat. I'm not going to even try. And so we use that with life and what what you were saying about how life passes you by. Um, we don't have this. We get we get born. This, I think it's because we have this. Um, difficulty with accepting like mortality that we have this perception that we all are granted life till we're 90 or 100 or 80 um 
a lot of people aren't. And that's something I emotionally realized at a very young age. And one of the greatest messages I have is that, like, please don't let it take the pain I went through and the amount of surgeries that I went through, which frankly, no one should survive. Like, it's not, I don't know anyone who's like had my extent of medical surgeries to realize life is short because I was one of the lucky ones that survived. But whilst I was in hospital, I watched at least a hundred people die. And those people are not spending, if they could have one day back, they would not spend their time worrying about what they look like. And that's the like crux of it. And I just wish there was a way to get people to emotionally realize that. And that's ultimately what I think the worst part of worrying about being fat, whether that's fat phobia or body confidence issues does is it steals the time you have to make memories and it steals your memories like as I said when I was 19 there were so many things that I wanted to do and I just hadn't done um but thank god I realized that young um and that probably is the only gift that came out of my surgeries uh and my like trauma but I dread to think what happens when you have that exact same realization but like in a hospital bed when you're 90 when you can't really do much about it and you don't have much time to make up for it Yes, and your best self is not the smallest version of you. So often we see this narrative that, oh, I am finally my best self because I've shed all the weight or like I've gotten this and I was not my happiest nor healthiest at my thinnest. Um, Like my happy place in life is like 15 to 20 pounds bigger than like probably what 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 an old part of me would have wanted, but now I, I could care less. And so I think too, just like, thinking that we don't have permission to live our lives or love ourselves or even enjoy if we don't weigh a certain number is once again this concept that's just been preached to us um, by society. But also we don't talk about how much life is sucked out of you when you're on a diet. So like me at my thinnest, um, I had just come out of hospital again, was at the thinnest because I had been medically starved for weeks um, and then went... Great. Since I'm at my thinnest, let's use this as like a, a Kickstarter to get even thinner. So I went on a diet that we have here called Slimming World. Um, and uh, because it was one of those like point systems, it meant I stopped going out for dinner with my friends because it meant that I couldn't count the calories as effectively. And genuinely, six months into this diet, I might have lost a lot of weight. But my friends turned around to me and was like, I never see you anymore. You don't come out for dinner with us. We are in uni and you literally like won't come out to a club because you don't want to drink alcohol because alcohol is calories and you don't want to eat and you don't want to come out for dinner because you don't want to go for coffee because then the cake is really tempting. And I just ended up staying at home the entire time. And I was like, sorry, but I don't think that is the dream life that I was picturing when I was skinny, but also it's the part that no one talks about in order to maintain a weight that you are not designed to be at. Um, Another thing I would tell people to look up is set point weight because we all have a natural weight our body sits in. Usually like there's a difference of like five to 10 pounds either side, Um, but you struggling, if you have to struggle that hard and you have to work that hard to maintain that weight, I can assure you that's not the natural weight you're meant to be at. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a great point. Just that state you're in when you're dieting, let alone, let's say you even get to that goal weight. Now what? Like you said, maintain, like you don't just get to live your life and this is the body, like you're never changing. So also, this is the funniest part, this diet group, like the prize at the end is if you hit your goal weight, you've got to keep coming to meetings for the rest of your life for free. And I was like, Wait, that's the the prize? I don't want to... If I hit my goal weight, I want to never go to these meetings ever again. They were like, no, it's very important. You come, like, to all meetings. And I was like, it genuinely feels like a cult. You mean once I'm in, I can't get out? Yeah, that sounds so toxic. And I'm so... It's so... I'm so glad that you've experienced everything you have, been through what you've been through, so that now you can share everything that you have today. And I do want to encourage everyone to get your book, Am I Ugly? Um, And I'll promote that as well in the outro. But... Will you just, last thing I want to end on is, the question is, am I ugly? What's the answer, Michelle? No, I am not ugly. I must say, the funniest thing about that is, of course, I've had every joke under the sun. The main one being, 
spoiler alert, yes, like usually on Twitter, someone will say that. But that didn't come out of, like, of course, I spent my entire childhood asking the question, am I ugly? But it didn't come from that. It came from the fact, it came from a statistic that I put in the last line of my book proposal that said 10,000 people a month Google the words, am I ugly? And that's what it comes for. And I'm like, that's more horrific than the fact that I questioned whether I was ugly or not, is the fact 10,000 people a month are questioning it so much that they would rather go to the internet to get the answer than someone they trust like that is horrific um, but no I do not think I'm ugly <laughs> I think I'm very beautiful now and as much as when I was 15 I I said that once on a podcast and I got a, like influx of messages being like you're not ugly I can't believe you think you're ugly and you can only live like ugly people can live fulfilling lives I was like no no, no I thought that when I was 15 I don't think I'm ugly anymore <laughs> I know I'm beautiful. I love my scars. I love my body. I would not change what I look like for the world. You couldn't pay me to have plastic surgery. Um, I'm very happy in my skin and I'm very proud of my body and I'm very proud of what it survived because frankly, like if you could survive what I went through, my body's superhuman at this point. So. It is superhuman and, and you are too. Like I just, I've had such a great time talking with you. I think you're awesome. So Thank you so much, and I just, I'm so excited for this to get out there because I want everyone to hear it. You're the coolest. Do people tell you you're the coolest Thank all the time? Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, it's been so, so, so lovely chatting to you. If you guys want to keep up with Michelle, head over to her Instagram. It is at scarrednotscared. She's such an amazing follow. She's such a radiant human. Go support her, and also her book, Am I Ugly, is everywhere. You can go purchase that today. Thank you guys so much for listening to Real Pod. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really means the world, and I really appreciate you listening every week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you guys back here next week. Don't forget to also follow the Instagram, at RealPod, where you can see special behind-the-scenes pictures, information, and be the first to know about new episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you next Wednesday.